Good evening, or day, whenever you're listening to this. And welcome to the next episode of Myths and Stories. Uh, we're doing it. We are doing the thing. Uh, a very long time ago, in a, in, a, in a living room far, far... Well, I guess it wasn't that far away. I guess it's just across the house from here. Uh, Myth and I did a thing. Uh, all of our clanmates were like, go do the thing, because you like talking about all the stuff. And so we did it, and we 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 started talking about lore. And one of the very first things that we covered was the history of the Awoken, and it was it was glorious. Except it totally sucked ass because we kept picking new recording devices, and we were going through PlayStation Chat, and some of the recordings were like half half of one person's audio, and the other person was just completely silent. So there's all these blank spaces. And we keep referencing these material, this material, when we when we're talking about stuff. And um, uh, one of our uh, one of our likes at on on Apple Podcasts, uh, I don't know if it's Mister or Mrs. Hootie Hootie McBooty, was like, "Hey, you keep mentioning this stuff. Where the hell is it?" Well, guess what? We're doing it. We're we are re-recording the history of the Awoken right now, and we're putting it in audio format and putting it out there for you. So stick around for the ride for this one. This is going to be another long series like we did with the uh, Books of Sorrow. We're going to cover the entire uh, Mara Sinalore book. Uh, Myth has the has the, the Grimoire Volume 4, which is basically it's the, it's the entire history of the Awoken, right, Myth? And then some? Yeah, uh, it's Mara Sena, as well as a number of the D1 lore cards that talk about um you know the awoken and the reef and those kinds of things and we're not gonna go like cover to cover on this uh oh we are <laughs> but um there's gonna be a lot you know lots of of bits and pieces from this mainly we're gonna be focusing on the mara senna uh which is as it as you might guess from the name the story of mara sov um from pre-collapse to uh you know her re-entry into our solar system, uh, as well as the Awoken of the Reef lore book, talking about uh, what the Awoken, what their their uh, main goal was when they first came to the solar system, and uh, and kind of what what happened immediately after there. So uh, that's that's the plan. I'm pretty excited for this one. I'm stoked. I I'm really happy to be able to have this in a in this format again to where we have all the audio <laughs> <laughs> yes yes that will be helpful for sure uh but yeah we uh the the awoken as a, a race within the destiny world is probably one of my my personal favorites uh and their story is super interesting so i'm half and half i i i guess the awoken are half and half yeah yep yeah See what I did there? No, uh, I'm half and half. I, I, my warlock is is an EXO, and uh, I, I was when when we first visit the Dreaming City and game was in Forsaken, and then when all like the patrol beacons, like if you're if you're an Awoken, they they the patrol beacons are the Corsairs, and they're like sister, brother, so they're like they're literally recognize you as an Awoken because mm-hmm. my wife's character is an Awoken warlock, and I was like, this is fucking shit. I don't get any cool dialogue, and so then when I was when when uh. Beyond Light came out, and I was like, "Oh, sweet Exo stuff," and nothing, freaking nothing. 
Clovis Bray didn't give a shit. Freaking Anna Bray didn't give a crap. I'm just like, this is stupid. Yeah, I was bummed. But now I still like, I, I kind of like being an EXO though. So I'm, I'm going to stick with my little robot body. So you got the welcome home message in, in Deepstone. So. I do. I, every time I go into Deepstone, I get welcome home rather than welcome back or, or anything like that. So yeah, I, I, I am very happy that I do get that message. So I, I have something and I can rehear it over and over again in the Deepstone. So I'm not completely upset. What do humans get? I think they get the short end of the stick is what they get. <laughs> they get the shaft. That's what they get. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, so Myth, uh, you said there's a, there's a, um, a, a special intro uh, for this book. Yeah, so there is a prologue for the uh, Grimoire Anthology Volume 4 that I'm going to be doing most of these readings from uh, that is written by none other than Toland the Shattered, our resident psychopath. So I'm going to read Toland's introduction to this book, uh, and then we're going to jump right into Marasana. But he he brings up some interesting points, Some some of this... Uh, you've probably heard bits and pieces of in, in the, the lore, depending on when you've started playing. Um, but it goes like this. I drive myself to the edge of madness trying to explain the truth. It's so simple, elegant, like a knife point. It explains, this is not hyperbole, this is the farthest thing from exaggeration, but it explains everything but you lay it out and they stare at you like you've just been exhaling dust maybe they're missing some underlying scaffold of truth maybe they're all propped on a bed of lies that must be burned away why does anything exist no 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 don't reach for that word there's no reason that's theology and theology will stitch your eyelids shut why do we have atoms? Because atomic matter is more stable than the primordial broth. Atoms defeated the broth. That was the first war. There were two ways to be, and one of them won. And everything that came next was made of atoms. Atoms made stars. Stars made galaxies. Worlds simmered down to rock and acid, and in those primal seas, the first living molecule learned to copy itself. All of this happened by the one law, the blind law, which exists without mind or meaning. It's the simplest law, but it has no worshippers here. Out there, though. Oh, out there. How do I explain it? It is so simple. Why don't you see? Imagine three great nations under three great queens. The first queen writes a great book of law, and her rule is just. The second queen builds a high tower, and her people climb it to see the stars. The third queen raises an army and conquers everything. The future belongs to one of these queens. Her rule is harshest, and her people unhappy, but she rules. This explains everything, understand? This is why the universe is the way it is, and not some other way. 
Existence is a game that everything plays, and some strategies are winners. The ability to exist, to shape existence, to remake it so that your descendants, molecules or stars or people or ideas, will flourish, and others will find no ground to grow. And as the universe ticks on towards the close, the great players will face each other. In the next round, there will be three queens, and all of them will have armies. And now it will be a battle of swords until one discovers the cannon or the plague or the killing word. Everything is becoming more ruthless, and in the end, only the most ruthless will remain, and they will hunt the territories of the night and extinguish the first glint of competition before it can even understand what it faces or why it has transgressed. This is the shape of victory, to rule the universe so absolutely that nothing will ever exist by your consent, unless by your consent. This is the queen at the end of time, whose sovereignty is eternal, but no other sovereign, because no other sovereign can defeat it. And there is no reason for it, no more than there is a reason for the victory of the atom. It, it was simply the winning play. Of course, it might be that there was another country with other queens, and in this country they sat down together and made one law and one tower and one army amongst themselves to guard their borders. This is the dream of small minds, a gentle place ringed in spears. But I do not think those spears will hold against the queen of the country of conquest. And that is all that matters in the end. From Tolan the Shattered, his journals on the nature of dark and light. I've, I've got a few questions here. Nothing, nothing crazy. Um, just a just a few things that I picked out. Uh, the three queens that he's talking about—that's got to be the the hive sisters, right? Or am I? Um, I think there's a lot of interpretations. I think that that is definitely uh, a a for this particular one. He's talking about the three queens. Um, one builds a tower to see the see the stars. That could be you know Oryx. Uh, right. one has the Builds an army for conquest that could be Shivu. Right. Um, the other, I forget exactly what what his uh, what his thing was. Uh, uh, writes a great book of law. Um, that's that's got to be the the writings of the the books of sorrow, right? Yeah. So that that could be Savathun, um, or that could be Oryx as well, I guess. That's 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 where that's where I'm I I don't know that there's a direct like this this one is talking like right. this one is this sister this one is this sister this one is this, this sister but he, he he doesn't call them sisters he calls them queens right calls them queens so this could be like Mara's re- always referred to as the queen of the awoken like well and that's that is the thing that we only have to my knowledge two named queens in the game we have the witch queen witch queen Savathun. Yep. And we have the Queen of the Reef, Mara Sov. So who would the third queen be in that instance? Right. I think we could maybe... Uh, there might be a few people we could claim 
might be a queen, kind of. Uh, queen Keitel. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Empress, but it's kind of the same thing, yeah. <laughs> kind of, right? Like, it's not exactly a queen, but it's, it's close enough. Right, but it, it it all boils down to Toland is, is giving this, like, can the queens that cooperate be strong enough to defeat the single queen that has conquered all others? And he reckons no, because Toland is very much enamored with the dark and the sword logic he's darkness drinking kool-aid 100 percent. oh yeah 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 like it and that's that was a few other things that that i picked out there too uh he he mentions the 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 what is it the i can't remember the ringed in spears uh a a city gentle city ringed in spears and that's like that was mentioned that's that's straight up rhetoric from books of sorrow like that's word for word out of books of sorrow, right? Yeah, the from the unveiling, actually. Unveiling. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's what the uh, what the narrator of the unveiling, who uh, seems to be the winnower, or right. or the witness as we know him now, um, yep, says that the ultimate goal of the traveler or the gardener is they believe the universe uh, will assume the shape of a a gentle city ringed in spears. Um, and that's kind of the, the ultimate ideology, uh, which Toland mirrors here. Is it the city ringed in spears that cooperates with each other, or is it the, uh, you know, the, the never-ending conquest, uh, the person that can never be defeated, that will ultimately be the, the winner at the end of everything? So that second one there, the person... The conquest, the 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 never defeated, and then kind of going backwards to the atom, right? The atom beat mm-hmm. out the primordial soup. Is that the first winner of the sword logic? Toland is is kind of implying that. That's you know. what it seems like. Like everything about this, like he's talking about that that was the first war, atoms versus primordial soup. Who won? Atoms. Okay. Now we move on. Atoms versus complex structures. Complex structures win. Atoms are now integrated into it. Complex structure is now the winner of the the sword logic. Like everything about this is, it seems, it, Toland, <laughs> Toland, Toland is nuts. That's 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 it. But he is a highly studied kind of nuts. Right. Like he's like he's he's just spent all his day in the in the archives reading book after book after book, and then just let it all just soak in and go. Well, what if insanity played a role in this and then just went with it? Like, yeah, no, that's very learned, learned psychopath is what I, maybe not psychopath, just crazy person. But yeah, so um, not to, you know, not to dwell on, on Toland. Uh, sure. But just kind of, he's, he's setting the stage in this prologue for what this book is going to be about in general is this idea of the light and dark ideologies and the nature of ruling and uh, the decisions made to rule uh, to continue a legacy. And, and, you know, that's the ultimate goal is to, to continue your legacy, be it people or ideas or, you know, what have you. Uh, and, and the decisions you make, especially in a ruling capacity, decide whether you're successful in that or not. Absolutely. So, 
that gets us into the Marasena proper. Um, and the Marasena, for anyone that doesn't already know, is Marasov's telling of her own origin. Uh, so she is the writer of this book, uh, which means that we have to just keep that in mind, that things are being written from her perspective on uh, the events that, that are told. Uh, and actually, the very first entry, she uh, goes out of her way to make that known to us. So the very first entry um, is archiloquy. That's that's a hard word. We might have to Google how to pronounce it. <laughs> All of these are going to be difficult, so forgive me if I mess up on more than a few of them. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> archiloquy. We're going with archiloquy for now. Yeah. So, but she tells us this. Secrets. Do you come in hope, O reader, for the secrets of my reign? A parable in the nitrate earth of the lightning crater where the firmament has joined an electric fury with the fundament. There lives a burrowing insect with two trembling antennae, thin as whiskers, long as life. A grasping hand reaches for the buried secret, finds the antenna, and pulls comes away with a single whisker, meaningless, the searcher disappointed. A wounded insect buried deeper, the secret now half-blind. That which digs for truth may bury deeper lies. If you recognize my authority, then I command you to pass onward as gently as the lover passes a razor over beloved skin. If you do not, then I name you Magicept, Doubter of Royalty, and I suggest you watch your edge. Cut too deep and too quick, and you will kill the thing you want to know. Think too eagerly, and as the digging hand leaves its prints in soft earth, so you will find only the image left by your own presumptions. Beware the one who feeds on truth adjacent lies. Beware the space between reality as imagined and reality as is, for it is abundant to those with appetite. So then, the brave voyager's fate, the timeless birthing place, my Milton reenactment, the ruins made ours, the riven twice riven, the daughter's blood scabbed hard on mother's wound, all things told, all truth revealed, if through mist and mystery. If you have grace, then see our sorrows, but swallow back your tears. We were made to pay this price, and I lead us to our fate. Seek me in my place. Hear these whispers from the lips of queen-egged God. So, rough translation of that for my interpretation is Mara saying, I, I'm giving all of the truth in this book. And <laughs> if you try and twist the interpretations of that truth, you're going to come up with, you're, you're going to create lies out of it, essentially. Yeah. 
and that's that's something that I'm remembering back from from the from the first recording of this, the whole secrets thing. Like she, yep. yeah, she is. She is. I, I don't want to say she's all about secrets, but yeah, we'll 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 get there. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kill the lead right here. I'm just. <laughs> we'll get there. The, the the secrets thing is a, is a very important thing to Mara, um, just as as a person. Yeah, Mara has quite the opinion on secrets versus truths, uh, which she she explains and we'll talk about. But just keep that in mind. So we get to the second entry now, which is Brefos One, and. It goes like this. Uh, I guess, actually, beforehand, to set the stage a little bit, this book starts during the end of the Golden Age, so pre, pre-collapse. Um, this is during the Golden Age where these characters start, and then uh, as the book progresses, we will, we will actually go through the collapse and then beyond. Uh, so. Yeah keep that in mind right now this is kind of height of the golden age uh and and specifically the exploratory efforts of the golden age people are living to 300 years old and and it's there's just it's the awesome times of life like it's every you know technology is just rapidly advancing it's Mm -hmm. i mean we've got clovis doing his thing this whole time with the with Braytech stuff, and of course his daughters Anna doing her stuff with Rasputin and the Warmind stuff. Willa doing doing the the Siva thing. Like it's there's just stuff happening all over the place. Um, the 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 foundries, the um, I can't think of what it, the Black Army foundries. They're they're starting to create their stuff because they they the technology is booming. Like it's. All these things are happening. All these moving pieces are happening, and and part of this is that exploration. There's ships, uh, the Exodus uh, ships, uh, one of which we know of on Nessus as Exodus Black. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's where Failsafe is at. Like that's that whole mm-hmm. ship wreckage there. That is all of the Exodus Black. Like that's so. This is that's one of the ships that got sent out. There was the Exodus Blue, which is. Uh, um, I want to say still in dry dock. I, what, what do we call it? Space dock? Dry dock? Yeah, I guess. That, that's the map. That's the PvP map is Exodus Blue. Yep. Um, yep. Then there's, you know, there's uh, uh, just all, all sorts of different Exoduses uh, that, are, that are going out there and exploring and, and whatnot. Yeah, and we actually start this bit of the story talking about one of them. Um, Specifically, Exodus Green, which also goes by the name of Yang Li Wei, uh, I guess is the name of the ship, um, but its code name is Exodus Green. Uh, so, this entry, entry number two, Brefos One, goes like this The woman sits on a ledge that overhangs infinity. She looks down and kicks her legs. The stars shine brilliant here because the sun is only fractionally brighter than the rest of them. Soul lies almost perfectly below her. Of course, up and down are defined only by the thrust axis of Yang Li Wei. 
Upward, the black umbrella of the shield and the matter storage and the docked ships which make Yang Li Wei not just a mothership, but an entire traveling fleet. Down below, along the slim spine of the ship, the shielded bulb of the engine glows invisibly infrared. If the ship slips off this ledge, she will fall down to the if she slips off this ledge, she will fall down the ship's length at one third of an earth gravity, not because there's anything pulling her, but because the ship is pulling away. Yang Li Wei is accelerating, slowly but inexorably, towards the stars. She is of no single race or ancestry, and the light on her skin is the color of starlight. She drifts with her suit tinted clear so she can soak it all up. She was nineteen and nine months old at the moment the ship began its transstellar injection burn, although this is only true if you count by the calendar of a planet she has barely visited but will always love. She thinks you cannot help but love Earth if you grew up in space. You love Earth the way all adolescents secretly adore two century old video of Nai Nai and Ye Ye dancing in New Year's Eve. Earth does not ask too much. The colonies are demanding parents, but Earth is like a chill old grandma, simmering in weird art and weirder ideas, enthroned upon ecology older than human time. Earth was the first terraformed world. Life made Earth livable. She is going with Yang Li Wei and the rest of Project Amrita to make new worlds. She came because she saw an omen in a man's death. She was on Eva with him, repairing a jammed radiator fin on an uncrewed circumjovian platform. They worked in companionable silence, listening to the howl of the Jovian magnetosphere when it happened. A frozen embryo came out of deep space at 40 kilometers per second and went straight through his faceplate. The, re- the embryo must have been spilled in a biocontainer accident far from the sun to plunge back inward like a comet. Immediately afterward, for reasons that are very clear to her, because she has always had a sense for the meaning of things, Reasons that are very difficult to explain to others. Because she has always felt this sense was secret, she asked her mother if the family could travel with Project Amrita. Amrita, the drink that endeth drinking, the bottomless cup. It is the quest to spread far beyond the solar system and to end human dependence on the traveler. It calls to those who see humanity as a cocoon, an instar, a form ready to be shed. She is Otteraj, third class, a self-motivating subsystem of the ship's inclusive ecology, a term that spans technology, biology, and behavior, all of which must be maintained for the mission to succeed. Her task is to locate problems and report them to an otter's second class, who will give her the tools she needs to repair them. But she never speaks to her second. She never tells anyone about the problems she finds. Instead, she just fixes them herself, 
Her work has therefore assumed a magical quality. She appears where there is trouble, and shortly afterwards the trouble goes away. People have begun to leave gifts for her. Some of these gifts are questions. She answers the questions with a quiet confidence some would argue she has not yet earned. But she knows that she sees more of their lives than they see of hers, and that this mystery, this seeing without being seen, grants her a kind of power which is like wisdom. She lives outside the ship, suited and cocooned in a layer of cytogel which keeps her surgically clean. She misses the wild, zero-gravity fashions of her upbringing. Clothes like drifting jellyfish would squirm away from snags, self-correcting darts in fabric silk like cool-spilled alcohol. She misses the scents of oil and sweat on her skin, for the suit leaves her so clean that her skin feels raw. But she stays out here because she wants to feel the changing taste of starlight as the universe ahead blue shifts. As Yang Li Wei accelerates towards light speed, it moves faster and faster into the light coming from ahead. If light were like dust, it would strike Yang faster, but light can never change speed, so it gains energy instead. Red light is low energy, and blue-violet light is high energy, so the universe becomes blue. Even now, the very tip of the visual spectrum, violet-blue light, is shifting up into invisible ultraviolet, the color of speed the color of future. So that's the end of kind of the description of the ship that Mara is on and uh, her role on that ship. So, so I was going to say, so here we have a very young Mara, 19 yes. and nine months, um, or at least that's when she joined the the exhibition for mm-hmm. the exodus green project um what, what was the what was the code name on top of that Am- amaretta uh yes amaretta uh, amaretta which, is, which i'm assuming which i'm assuming is just a colonization yeah um project or, or, or code word or something you know yeah it's it's i mean it, they they kind of give a, a small definition of of amaretta you know the drink that that never ends the bottomless cup uh, yeah. i think they're implying that it is project amrita is the endless exploration and expansion of humanity across the universe is is yeah. their goal anyway so so we have young mara here um who saw this trip as an omen from from doing work with a guy who <laughs> Essentially, caught a bullet through the face in space. <laughs> yeah, pretty in much in the form of an embryo from a from a cryo freezer. Thing, like, holy crap! <laughs> yeah, she's just working to repair something with this other technician, uh, and some you know accident elsewhere in space uh, caused this this frozen embryo to be turned into you know floating space debris. And uh, it was accelerating at the point 
that uh, it became lethal and just went straight through the guy's straight head. Straight through. Right through. Uh, so she, she talks about uh, her family, uh, that she convinces her family, which is, uh, uh, it doesn't mention them here by name, but it, it's three very important, or two very important people and Mara. So yes. that being her, her brother and her mom. Yeah, um, and we will see them uh, Absolutely. take quite, quite Absolutely. a role as time goes on. I mean, everyone knows the brother, Aldrin, uh, although that's not what his name was originally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we will see both her brother and her mother uh, make quite an impact in Mara's story before we ever meet her. And so she, she, she enjoys living out on the, on the hull of the ship. Yeah, she she likes just floating out there. Yep. She she's got this cool suit, uh space suit that has this gel that like regulates her body, scrubs her skin, like you know, sur- keeps her surgically clean, like it's like and she just lives out there. And she's so good at what she does, she doesn't care to to cuz she's a technician on the ship. Uh she doesn't care to tell her superiors hey this thing like that's that's what she's supposed to be doing is be like hey this thing's broken let's get a you know let's get a ticket put in let blah 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 she just like she's like fuck it i'm just gonna fix it and so now she's she almost is starting to get this like not not quite a a cult of personality or a following or anything but kind of because people are leaving her gifts they're asking her questions and i mean it's, it's they think of it as almost magical about her and so even at a very young age, Mara is showing this like enigmatic enigmaticness. Is that a word? I'm going to use that word. <laughs> uh, about her, this this very much you know ma- magical being that can solve life's problems. Um, who's who talks about Earth as a as a place she's visited. So she's born in space, lives in space. That's she she's a space colony baby, basically. Um, yeah yeah but she has this deep-seated like love for for earth uh as where where humanity originated and um she says that like the colonies are very demanding absolutely but earth is always kind of this this safe haven that uh you know doesn't doesn't have the same demands because it's already seen everything yep kind of this vacation away from Away from life is is Earth. Is the way she sees it, I think. Yeah, but so um, she's she's spending her time when she's not magically fixing things before they're broken. Uh, we call we call that in the military PMCS stands for Preventative Maintenance Checks and Services. She's just very very good at it. <laughs> very good at it. Uh, but no, so she's she's just spending her time floating out in in space outside of the ship. Uh, but within kind of the shield bubble around the ship from the sound of things, the dome that she talks about. Yep. Um, as the ship is accelerating towards uh, towards light speed, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and she's seeing all of the starlight around the ship uh, make that shift in colors as the ship gains more and more and more energy. And I, li- I like that she, I like that, she broke it down in a scientific term there, right? Like, because the the since the speed of light is um, never changing, 
uh, 3.08 times, or 3, 3 times 10 to the 8th? 3 times, actually 2.99 something times 10 to the 8th. That's not the point. Uh, she mentions that, you know, it starts at, a, at the lower end of the frequency in the red light, uh, moving through this spectrum into yellow and green into blues. And then once it gets, so, so because the speed of light can't change, it's, it's changing the amount of energy. And so that's moving up the spectrum. On, on a on a frequency thing until it hits the ultraviolet and then past that is you know x-rays gamma rays all that stuff um and once once it hits that portion that's where that's why everything around her appears to look blue and and shifts into the the invisible ultraviolet because they're just moving that fast i really i really like that scientific breakdown that she did i was very very happy with mara the technician there for <laughs> for that one, <laughs> the little electronic engineering game, in, in, engineer in me was like, <laughs> so that leads us into the into the next entry. Then, yep, leads us in the next entry, and uh, this is entry three, titled Brefos Two. And I want to make a make a quick note about the 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 title of this entry and the previous one, Brefos One. Uh, Brefos is a Greek Latin term, um, which essentially means uh, a, a newborn child, um, an infant or a babe. Uh, and I think it's very fitting because this, these entries are about the uh, existence of Mara before she became an Awoken. So she may view these as her, um, her infancy. Yeah. was during this time on the ship. Uh, so you say, because at this point in time, she's she's just a human girl. She's just mm-hmm. got a got a cell phone in a dream. Well, I don't know so much about the phone, but <laughs> dream for sure. <laughs> uh, but I like it. So chapter three, Brefos two, goes like this. Mara. A fighter shouts, delighted, and a punch shuts him concussively up. It's a real good hit, a thunderous uppercut to the point of the jaw. To the point of the jaw. Mara hears his teeth grind across each other, down into lip flesh, lip flesh and shredded gums. She cringes in silent sympathy. He loses his grip on the equipment rack and tumbles out into zero gravity in a big arc of blood. His opponent goes for the coup de gras, kicks off hard and catches him in the stomach like a human torpedo. They plunge together towards the kill zone painted on the floor. Aldwin grins messily at Mara over his opponent's shoulder. He's fighting a big, brutal woman from Gravity Ops a woman who's had her myostatin genes knocked out so she can swell up into a giant plug of brawn. Aldwin doesn't have a chance. He took the fight for the same reason he wanted to join the Amrita expedition. He measures himself by the bravery of his losses, by what he can survive losing. He applies a a blood choke. It's the right move, but it doesn't matter. The woman groans, grays out, goes limp. But Aldwin can't get out from beneath her sheer inertia before he hits the kill zone. The bell goes off. Aldwin groans as his rail-hard body forcibly decelerates his opponent's entire mass. 
Events have built up momentum, and he is just in the way. What did you lose? Mara asks him. He lies there, panting and grinning, shedding perfect round spheres of blood. It's good to see you inside. What brought you? She and her fraternal twin never answer each other's questions directly. Mara is cool with this because she feels like words are a very bad system of encryption, and that if you really want to communicate with someone, you must develop your own special one-to-one cryptosystem. The ideal statement, Mara feels, would be indecipherable to anyone but the person it's spoken to, and even then, only if they know you are the one speaking. I got you some pictures, she says, pushing the big woman off him, which elicits a fuzzy, oh hi, Mara. Full sensorium captures. You can trade them for the parts I need. Aldwin helps the big woman pull herself vertical, but his eyes are narrow on Mara. Not because he's sore at the idea of helping her, he's always liked bartering, but because he knows what kind of black market wants these captures. How far off the hull did you take them? How far off? All the way off. They're in zero gravity because Yang Li Wei shuts off its engines for an inspection cycle. So while Aldwin got in prize fights, Mara kicked off Yang Li Wei's forward shield and coasted ten kilometers into pure void, tethered only by a thread-thin molecular line. She ordered her suit's cytogel to gather around her face. Then, only then, she overrode every sanity system in her soft suit and commanded it to retract into storage mode. The suit peeled away like rind, and she was drifting in hard vacuum. The void boiled the water off her skin. Her body swelled with unchecked pressure until her undersuit forced it to stop. Alarmed cytogel crawled down her throat, hissing emergency oxygen. Not enough. Her skin blued with cyanosis. She was bathed in the most profound emptiness. She recorded all of it at the neural level. The exquisite darkness, the sense of fatal independence from all things. There are those who will give anything to feel that void. You can't keep doing this, Aldwin complains, as the big woman stares at Mara in awe. Mom is going to die of worry. And that's the end of chapter three. So, god damn this this one all this one always gets me. Like if <laughs> the sensory stuff is what's like that stuff's like oh oh. Um, okay, so we'll start we'll start with the fun stuff. Aldrin Aldrin has Fight Club, <laughs> or sorry, Aldwin has Fight Club has yeah. Fight Club. <laughs> Aldwin, uh, the fraternal twin of Marasena has his own fight club and he does it just to just to see what he can live through it yep. it is literally fight club they, everything about this is fight club in space and it's i think it's awesome um and and 
he's doing while he's getting his little fight club thing going on. Lang Lang Yang Yang Lang Lang Wei Day. Uh, Yang Li Wei. That's hard. The ship. Um, yeah. The ship. Uh, I'm just gonna call it Exodus Green from now on because that works. So yeah. much easier. Exodus Green does a maintenance cycle and so it has to shut down all of its engines. And Mara goes ten kilometers out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a that's a pretty good distance. I mean, that's that's what three miles? Or am I doing my math backwards? Oh, you're asking me about the metric system. I, <laughs> I, I live in the U.S. of A. We don't recognize kilometers. <laughs> Mark is also in the Discord with us, and he's cringing in the background, like you I'm stupid sure. Americans. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> and say it's uh, about six, six miles. Okay, six miles. See, I was close. I was nowhere near close. Um, so she kicks off six miles out, off off the front of the ship, past the shielding, gathers that 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 goo around her face, shuts off every single safety and sanity measure that that's holding this stuff holding her suit together and her suit just retracts into itself and then like her body's going crazy the stuff slides into like into her throat hissing oxygen into her because guess what folks you don't have to breathe to live you just need oxygen to live so it forces its its oxygen into her and it's like and she's recording this whole thing all the sense on a neural level on a neurological level like a a neuron level and then has all these recordings and giving them to her her brother to trade for parts that that she uses to work her magic on this ship like there are a lot of problems in this family one of them is just <laughs> it, he's 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 too stubborn for his own good it feels like like he 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 keeps doing these fights and stuff like that like he's very good at the fight right like he 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 could have possibly technically won but because the inertia was there and, and they were already heading towards the kill zone, like it was, you know, too little, too late type thing. But he survived it. So for him, the true victory is I survived it, which is OK. I can I can kind of appreciate that, but it's still a little. little worrisome. And then you have Mara, who's just. What in the hell? <laughs> like, I don't I don't the, the, the sensory, like all the different sensory stuff going on there it just what in the hell yeah she she's they're both kind of daredevils i guess for lack Absolute. of a better term so something oh alduin's yeah. all about yeah like he measures himself by the losses he lives through uh which is a an interesting concept like i don't even know that he's after i don't know that either of them are after like an adrenaline rush right uh it's just like he wants to be able to say, I walked away from insurmountable odds. Like he, that makes him feel valuable. Yeah. Uh, and Mara is all about, I want to be as close as I can to the stars and to, to the void of space. And I'm going to keep pushing those limits to get that little bit closer. And yeah. I think, I think she does it for herself. I mean, she's already said she does it for herself. Uh, but she knows that she can use those experiences as leverage to get resources that she then uses for her job. Her magic. That's, that's her magic weaving space. 
And the the fact that she's going out of her way to trade on the black market to get these parts for you know for her her job specifically to avoid going through the normal chain of command yeah. um tells me that even if it didn't start that way it is now very intentional for her to be trying to to perform these you know the what other people are are attributing to to magic she's actively trying to be able to just show up and make problems disappear and then kind of absolutely you know, float away after the fact absolutely it start to me it started off as like this oh neat people are giving me stuff and asking me questions and stuff and now it's evolved into full on like yeah i'm going to keep this going i'm going to live it up yeah we're introduced in the next chapter, which is number four, titled Brefos Three, to the other member of Mara's family. Uh, so this chapter goes like this. I don't really care what risks you take, Mara's mother sighs. That's the deal we made, my little yellow star. Mom, Mara protests. My discarded tube of sealant, my sweet little fleck of paint. Osana likes to compare Mara to small, pestilent items that drift near spacecraft, like crystals of frozen urine. As far as Mara can tell, Osana is the apex of a centuries-long project to create the ultimate embarrassing mother. She is also very blunt. Mara. Even when you were little, you wanted me to treat you like an adult. So I have. But you remember what I told you, don't you? If you don't want to be my daughter, I can't watch over you like a mother would. I can't put you first like a mother would. I will always be your friend, but I have to make my own choices, too. That doesn't mean you had to tell the captain. They walk shoulder to shoulder down the companionway to Captain Lee's wardrobe. Mara keeps trying to get a step ahead to lead, but Osana somehow matches her every time. Of course I did, Osana says. You started a cult, Mara. If I didn't say something to the captain, behavior would have had this conversation with you instead. Do you want that? I didn't do anything. People like my captures. People left me presents, spare parts, tips. Then Alduin got into it. You know how he is. Don't. Osana wheels on her. For shame, Mara. You know your brother will follow you anywhere you lead. You know he is capable of the same... Her lips twitch. Imperial remove. You knew he'd brag about you living on the hull, and you let him do it. It is one thing to have a particular power over people, Mara, but it is another to deny that you are using it. Mara thinks she can come up with a stinging retort given a few more paces, but it's too late by then. The hatch to Captain Lee's wardrobe swings open. Mara is terrified of this place. This is where Captain Alice Lee, divine presence in Mara's life, interfaces with the officers who are the manifestations of her will. Since Mara wants to be Alice Lee someday, the wardrobe makes Mara feel like she is a usurper princess scoping out her rival's court. 
Captain Lee offers them tea. Mara cannot imagine the way in which she is butchering what must be an intricate and meaningful tea ceremony. Lee serves some very battered, pre-traveler ceramic sloshing with hot green tea, then immediately adulterates her own cup with milk from the cow thing on the bio-deck. Revolting, isn't it? She smiles at Mara's bewildered horror. You've seen what I put in my tea when I was camping in Mongolia. I understand your colleague, who is also your mother, has some concerns about your relationship with the rest of the crew. My darling Mara, Osana says, has entirely by accident, I am sure, cultivated a reputation as a minor divinity. Her captures from outside the ship are hot items for barter. People draw fan art. There are tips left for her. You take captures while Eva sometime, while EVA sometimes without a suit? Lee nods. Yes, I've played one. A remarkable sensation. This makes Mara grin impetuously. Mara, you, in, you are an utterge, a volunteer. I cannot order you to stop, and your work is exemplary. Are you putting anyone else in danger with your art projects? No, Mara says. Just myself. False, Lee barks. That is a selfish answer. You are now a symbol to my crew, a house god. If you were to die, they would lose something important, something human, that they have created out of loneliness and void. It would be an unforgettable reminder of the hostile nothingness that surrounds us. When you endanger yourself, you endanger that symbol. You are part of this mission's behavioral armor, Mara. Mara is thunderstruck. She's never thought about it this way. All I did was take some captures. I didn't ask to be anyone's mascot. You presented yourself as a conduit to secret knowledge, Captain Lee counters. People made something out of you, Mara. Please take this from a starship captain. What people make of you, what they create of you, even without your consent, becomes a kind of responsibility. If the Mara they see when they look at you is good for them, then you have some duty to be that Mara. She looks to Osana. What about your boy? He's in medical more often than any of the other underground fighters. It does not surprise Mara that Captain Lee knows about the fights. My son, Osana says, is determined to be his own worst enemy. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Of course, Lee studies them coolly. I keep an ear out for curious personalities, people who might be suited to long-term isolation while the rest of us are in cryo, people who awaken when others sleep. That's the end of chapter four. I, I, I love the way that Mara looks at, like, the way that, that the captain, like, what is she, like, basically, basically, like, butchers this tea by putting milk in it like from that cow thing down that like yeah um 
but like this whole time she's just talking she's talking to her mom on the way and she, her mom is always seems like she's just one step ahead of her like osana is is always just and and not just physically one step like even mentally like she's just out talking her the entire time and uh uh you know they get to the they get to the captain's room and and you know the at first, it seems like, oh, the captain's praising me. You know, this is this is awesome. She likes my captures too, and and then just one eighties the whole thing. Like, look, you you dumb dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it, do you, can you not see that because you've created this cult of personality around yourself that you, you're God. You you are you are starting to become godlike, and 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 you're having the 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 equivalency of a deity. Like this this is bad for the crew. Because if they lose you, if 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 the crew loses a god, they'll they'll go nuts. They'll they'll revolt. They'll, I mean, this is a full on like every time you go out there and do one of these captures, you're you're putting yourself at risk to causing the entire ship to revolt. And and not just that, Mara is on the behavior team, or the the I think she calls it the behavior armor, but it's it's basically the behavior specialist for the for the ship. And so Mara knows that this stuff is going to happen. Oh yeah. But then on top of it, she's a volunteer, so the 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 captain can't order her to stop doing it. I mean, this is there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting little things going on here, and and I obviously the captain of a ship knows everything that goes on on a ship. Like I my 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 brother was in the navy, and I'm telling you right now that commander of that ship knows everything that is going on on that ship. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how secretive it is. That commander of that ship knows every little thing that's happening on that ship, so it 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 didn't surprise her at all that she she knew about you know Fight Club and 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 all the excursion and the fact that she's even partaken of these captures. Like, I mean, it's it's it. I thought that was a cute thing. Like <laughs> that that made me smile. Yeah. No. It's uh. To to try and draw a real world comparison to this, um, reading what Captain Lee is telling Mara, uh, she says you presented yourself as a conduit to secret knowledge. People um, made something out of you, and uh, when they create something of you, even without your consent, it becomes your responsibility to be what they have made you out to be. Uh. And the the closest example I could draw to that in in real real life for us would be like uh, athletes or movie stars or oh sure uh, people that maybe you know they're just doing a job um, yeah. they're they're doing something they enjoy they didn't ask to be a role model but because they're in the public eye and because people have decided that they are a uh you know someone worth watching and paying attention to they they assign responsibility to that person to be a good role model whether they wanted to be or not at the beginning absolutely and i, I think it's it's kind of the same message being given to mara here very very similar message being if, if not the message being sent here right like that's yeah no absolutely so now we get into chapter five and here is where things start to go a little sideways for the exit of the screen. I was going to say, is this, is, this the, is this the start of the excitement? Like, all this, all this time has been this buildup, like, 
who is who is Aldrin or who is Oldwin? I keep I keep saying it. I keep <laughs> <laughs> it's, who it's is tough, Oldwin? Yeah. Right. Like who is Oldwin? What is what is his drive? What what keeps him moving forward as a person? Who is Mara? What is she to the crew? What is what is this crew? What is this? You know, here's her mother. Here's here's uh, Alice Lee, the captain of the ship, like the 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 thing that Mara as, uh, aspires to be. Like she's she wants to be the captain of a ship. She wants to be the the head honcho. Um, and so yeah, like this all the way up until this point, it's just been kind of like a yeah, we're we're going into we're going into deep space. We're gonna you know at some point in time they're gonna cryo freeze everyone and and they're just gonna keep pushing out into space into um, interstellar, right? So this is between mm-hmm. galaxies, right? Yep. Or is this inter- between systems? Um, I don't know if they specify. Uh, I think it's just outside the solar system. They're just they're out, out, outside the solar system. However yeah. far they end up going is, is how far they end up going. But um, And I don't think they have a particular place, like a particular coordinate in mind. It's, I think, purely oh, sure. exploratory. Absolutely. And, and I mean, they said as much. Like, that's, that's this whole thing, this... When when they when you first read it, my first thought was like, "What is this enterprise? Is this like our our five year our <laughs> ongoing know, yeah. mission to, to to boldly seek out new worlds and new civilization?" Like, okay, I got you. I see what you're doing here. <laughs> somebody somebody was watching a little too much Next Gen while they were writing this book. Uh, but yeah, no, that's it. It is purely exploratory. Like they're just they're just on a you know go that way, and they're just traveling that way. Um, but now, now, now we're coming to a big event. We're coming to a big event. And before I um, begin the reading for this section, I want to also draw attention to something that we read at the very beginning, um, which was that Project Amrita is to explore outside the solar system with the mission goals of expanding humanity in a non traveler dependent society and that's very important oh that's right because the travelers here like this is yep. during the this, this is during like, the, golden the golden age, age. yeah the, the whole golden age the travelers in our system popping around planet to planet terraform and shit so the traveler is a known entity to the to this exodus green and known enough that that this group of people has decided that humanity has become far too dependent on it and they want to advance yeah. themselves outside of the traveler's influence and that's the other kind of main objective of this mission is to get away from the traveler and and see what humanity becomes on its own yeah so with that in mind we're gonna read chapter five now which is entitled cosmogear cosmogear or cosmogyre i'm not sure the pronunciation however the meaning as far as i can tell um literally means orbiting the cosmos so uh it goes like this exodus green to unknown maneuvering object please squawk your transponder and indent over another silent quarter hour passes in flight no response comes from the transient contact 12 and a half light minutes away the ghost has stalked Yang Ling Wei for 18 hours now, closing in each time it appears, and Captain Alice Lee is very wary of it. 
other colony missions have vanished during their outward burns, victim of mishap or hostility, and because of these disappearances, Project Amrita did not hurl itself fearless into the void. Rather, they came armed to the molars. Let's give them a fright, she decides. Cut the main engine. The ship's AI executes the command, but a crew person confirms and calls the order back. Miko, aye aye. Launch a distributed antenna. Heat up the targeting radar for a full fusion-powered snapshot. We'll take their picture and see what we see. Captain, the comm officer calls. I've got something weird here. Is our phantom finally saying hello? No, it's a neutrino tight beam from Solcent. They've declared a Karhe White emergency. The whole solar system is now under Warmind control. Com dismisses her sensorium, goes to hand her hard controls as if she thinks this might be some kind of virtual prank. We're being conscripted. Alice smashes these ideas together in her head like a child banging rocks. They are so preposterous, so stupid, she cannot even begin to manipulate them coherently. We're what? We've been commissioned as an auxiliary warship. We are ordered to... Come swallows in disbelief. To kill our exit trajectory and assume a heliocentric orbit that comes with explicit instructions to suicide burn our engines until they are destroyed. Rasputin will transmit targeting coordinates so that we can use our kinetic weapons as long-range artillery and will be recovered after the crisis is concluded. Details. What kind of crisis? It's a sky shock event, ma'am. That's a hostile extrasolar arrival. Captain Lee clamps the mask of command authority over her face. Transmit a request for clarification. Belay the antenna, Captain? No. Scale it up. Add telescopes to the swarm. Get me a full system survey. I want to know what's going on back home. Alice Lee reaches out to call up a file, hesitates, and then selects the Project Amrita charter. We have a decision to make. That's the end of chapter five. Again, the military in me is like lighting up over this 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 entry. Like it's they're they they're they've been run, they're running from something. They don't know what the fuck it is, but they know it's it's catching up to them. It's it's gaining on them this whole time. They're 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 telling him to you know squawk up like like key up key up key up something key up your mic give us some sort of sign of what you are and just radio silence back from this thing and on their way as they're doing this boom conscription orders instantaneous car car hair white right that's the yep. that's the sky shock event so that means Rasputin the AI war mind that that Anna Bray has been working on this whole time has take has conscripted every single thing in the soul every single thing in the soul system not just not just like a ship or two literally every single being piece of equipment everything is now under warmind 
authority and not maybe not necessarily control, but definitely under Warmind authority. And the Warmind says, go to go to go to heliosphere, heliocentric orbit, which I believe is uh, uh, an orbit in the helios within the heliosphere, right? Yeah, the heliosphere yeah. being the the edge of the, the not the edge of the universe, the edge of the solar system. So go in, go into orbit. Use your kinetic weapons to basically, you know, kind of get this thing coming towards you. Then turn around and suicide yourself into it. And Alice Lee is like, "What?" <laughs> and so she's going through all of her, all of her protocol books. Like she's like, you know, pulling up all sorts of stuff. Like the comms, the comms guy is freaking out, right? Like the comms oh, yeah. guy, he just <laughs> reading a message. He's like, "What? What?" <laughs> and and we like. They they've they've already had ships going out come across hostile things before, and so this ship is not only is it a colony ship, it is a battleship. They are armed to the teeth with everything, and so the fact that they're instantly conscripted and then Rasputin's just like turn this thing around, fire it into it. We'll come retrieve your bodies when 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 this whole sky shock event is over, and and rest to Rasputin sky shock event. That's that's an end of humanity event. That's a humanity is about to die event. And Rasputin is under is operates under a single uh protocol and that's protect humanity at all costs. And and the fact that he's willing to sacrifice an entire colony ship to stop whatever is chasing them means that this shit is bad. Yeah, and I I think that's an important thing to point out. Rasputin's main goal, as far as we understand it at this point in time during his life, I guess, is... <laughs> I'm going to call it a life. What do you, right, what, yeah. What do, you, what do you call it, AI Warmind? Like? <laughs> <laughs> but his, his main goal, his main like programming ideal is keep humanity alive. Keep humanity going. And at all costs. At all costs. At cost. all costs. And... You have to try and understand the magnitude for an AI, which as advanced as Rasputin, which is to say has thought of every possible scenario within their processing capability, which would be far beyond a human's at this point. His decision making has ended up with, I am willing to sacrifice anything because that's the only way that there might be something left at the end of this. That's that's mind-blowing. Because to an AI like even if 1% survives, that's still 1%. We can That's still can, greater than 0. That's yeah. still greater than 0. And so like we don't know what odds this, that that war, that Rasputin is thinking of like this this is big. This is this is a huge event. That poor comms guy, though. Oh, I, I know. Because, like I said, the military and me, that poor comms guy is just like a low level. Like, he's just an enlisted, like, level three, level two. And so he's just reading off messages like, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the commander of the ship is sitting behind him like, I want answers. Da, 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 da. He's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love this scene. I absolutely love this scene. It's it's interesting as well because um Alice Lee does two things. She does 
okay, put that antenna out that we were already going to do, but now put a, you know, put a bunch of other stuff with it. I want to measure anything I can pick up that's happening at home that, that can give me an idea of the situation. Yep. And in addition to that, she's brought up the charter for the project Amrita for the, the crew aboard the ship and has, has decided uh, or, or rather has come to the conclusion that there's a decision that the crew needs to make. Yeah. Uh, and that, that decision is whether they follow the order or not. And that's as for the commander of a ship, like that's, that's a bold statement to do. Like, that that ship and all of its crew are in your hands like that that is your life and and for you as a for 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 Alice as a commander to to say okay i know what rasputin is telling us to do to suicide ourselves i i'm not willing to take that order blindly i want to put this decision up to the crew do we take the order and 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 follow through and and say, all right, if if this is Car Hair White, if this is humanity ending event, do we do we sacrifice ourselves for the greater good, or do we just say no? Like that's a that's a bold God, the balls on this lady. <laughs> so this leads us into the next chapter, which is uh Cosmogyre 2. And it goes like this. Mara kicks off Yang Liwei's forward shield, aiming astern and inward so she will cross the void to the ship's spine in a long, slow curve. Oh, come on, Alduin says in delight as much as horror. You really do this all the time? All the time. Yang is a big ship, newer than the antique trucks used in the other Exodus missions. Project Amrita demanded the cutting edge of human science. It says that in the mission charter, which everyone has been rereading, because the captain has called a vote, should Yang Liwei return home? What if the ship starts accelerating? Alduin has already, of course, leapt after her. His envy yellow soft suit glows with gentle bioluminescence. We'd just fall forever? We'd fall into the stars. We're still on a solar escape trajectory. Yang would just outrun us. At least we'd still be going in the right direction. She doesn't think she's given anything away, but somehow he knows. Mara. He looks up, frowning, his face bigger and brighter than the distant sun. You want to go back, don't you? You're going to vote to return. Mara thinks that if she looked him in the eye, he would see the truth, the turmoil, the half-formed yes. Mara, you don't have to tell me how. He swallows the hitch in his voice. I've seen how bad it is, and I've watched it long enough to know that it's not going to get better. They're gambling everything on the Traveler. And we came out here to get away from it. To step off the easy path. Why would we go back? Because I asked us to leave, Mara thinks. 
because something came out of deep space and killed the man next to me, and I saw the omen, and I said we should go, and now I feel like a coward. We might make a difference, she says. There are other ships. We'd be dead before we saved a single soul, Alduin replies. He's right, of course. She doesn't want him to be right, but he's right. And she cannot withdraw into some silent place where she is above this choice. They drift in silence along Yang Liwei's silver stem until Yang Liwei's silver stem rushes up to meet them. Mara spins, uncoils, and lands in a crouch. Alduin comes down on his hands and springs up, grinning, but the smile dies when he sees her expression. Oh, Mara. She is silent. We left everything behind, he says. And it turns out we did that for a very good reason. We don't owe... We don't owe those people our deaths. We don't owe them our dreams. I know, she says. I know. The Eva guard channel pops into her sensorium. Everyone get inside, Captain Lee calls. Our friend is closing in on us, and we need to maneuver. That's the end of that chapter. So here's, here's, here's the crisis. Like, do we stay or do we go? Like, that's, that's the... They, they purposefully started this mission. The, the, the extra screen as a whole started this mission to say, we're, we're abandoning the traveler. We think that, that whatever the traveler's doing is people are getting too dependent on it. It's, it's, it's way too, like, it's un, too unpredictable. Like, we can't, that, no. We're going to create our own lives. We're going to keep humanity going as, as what we think is the, the, what we feel is the right choice for us. For, and anyone who wanted to come with, they're on this exodus green. And that's the whole thing. Mara, and, and that's, so that's the whole question being asked, right? Like, stay or do we go? And Mara is sitting there, like, basically feeling guilty, right? Like, like this, this home, this, not home, um, because even she doesn't refer to it as a home, but she feels something towards it, like this, this, uh, this thing, right? Like this, this place that, that, that has life and is, and is awesome. Is it the, the warbine is calling them back to protect it, and so now she's feeling guilt. She's feeling this regret. She's like, you know, if do I tell us to turn back? You know, there's gonna if, if us turning back saves even one life, is that worth it? And and Aldrin's looking at her like, Aldrin, <laughs> I did it again. Old Dwin <laughs> is looking at her like, you're crazy. There's no way that all of our lives are worth even one life. We left to we we left. That, that full stop. We left. S- screw the screw that shit. We're not going back. This we wanted to be separated from this. There's no reason for us to go back. And so now now is now it's decision making time. Now it's now it's you know, and this whole time they're doing this in the in the zero gravity off the hull of the ship. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And Oldwin's like, what the fuck is going on? And her landing, I ninety nine percent sure she did a superhero landing. 
right? <laughs> yeah. Like the like the one knee down with a fist on the ship and the one oh, yeah. behind oh, yeah. her and looking up like straight up Avenger style superhero landing on it and old old one just kind of bump bounces off. It. <laughs> Very ungraceful like. Yeah, but we we see in this the the conflict and what I think are still these pillars of Mara and her personality. And we see on one hand, she has this very deep seated, almost unexplainable, uh, kind of unconditional love for earth, for the birthplace of humanity. Yeah. And on the other hand, she recognizes that she has this kind of sixth sense about the universe and that she can read the meaning in events that other people can't that drew her to be a part of this Amrita project in the first place. I mean, that's like the whole omen that she, that she felt right. When, and when I, the guy died in front of her. I think that's interesting because, um, she says, let me pull it up here. I, because something came out of deep space and killed the man next to me, and I saw the omen, and I said we should go. And now I feel like a coward. So I think what she saw in that omen was that something was coming to invade the solar system, and that's why she wanted her family to leave. It was because she knew this was coming, and she she's running from it. And yeah. now that it's here, she... She's feeling regret for that decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's 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 another interesting thing too. These books, the like the first the first couple of entries are like, oh yeah, they're a couple they're probably a few weeks apart, a couple of months apart. Now these are like rapid fire. Like these are yeah. these these events are happening in succession, like you know, the ship carhart, the, the, the space thing, the da 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 like it's it's this is like an hour by hour telling now. Like this is yep. this is sped up. Yeah. Before we had little snippets of you know who knows how much time went on between, uh, presumably a, a decent amount, uh, and now it's like yeah these this could have all happened on the same you know day. Absolutely. Uh, because stuff is stuff is ramping up. Things are happening. Yep. So chapter seven goes like this: the stars have gone out. The universe blackened a shroud of nothingness drawn over yang li wei and its forty thousand sleeping passengers and its 900 crew and maybe even the whole solar system there's no way to know because there's no way to see anything beyond the hull the vacuum itself has become hostile to the propagation of light darkness surrounds them And now the ship bucks on a storm sea as space-time ripples with gravity tides. Report, Captain Lee calls. Her sensorium blazes with positional telemetry from ring laser gyros, beacon satellites, pulsar fixes, cosmic microwave background texture, galactic EM field terrain mapping, every single instrument useless, crashed, spitting nonsense. Sound off by stations, she says. Fido, the flight dynamics officer, calls. Main engines on safe, thrusters firing erratically. Uh, 
attitude control keeps crashing to manual. Guidance. I have no position. I cannot get a vector. We're moving, but I can't tell how or where. Inco. No eternal comms. Internal networks are dropping in and out. An incredible sensation washes over Captain Lee. A rumble and a thrum down in her gut, in her marrow, in the lowest, basest elements of her body. It is the vibration, the sound of the very fabric of her being, scrunching up and stretching out. The distance between the atoms of her body collapse and expand. The cycle repeats again and again. For a moment, she feels her fingertips and toes pulled away from her core, yanked by tidal forces. It feels like the lowest rumble of the biggest subwoofer ever built. It sounds like the deep voice of God whispering ASMR directly into her ear. It tingles, it thrills, and it leaves in its wake a subsonic tint of dread and anticipation. She shivers hugely. Gravity wave, she says. Talk to me, Geode. The space-time geodesics officer looks like she's been hand-delivered a Nobel Prize. This is amazing, she crows, fully aware that she and everyone else are about to die, but transported away from such temporal concerns by scientific rapture. Can you feel that growl? We're experiencing high-frequency, high-amplitude gravity waves, phaeton strikes, axions decaying through the hull, sterile neutrinos. It's all coming from a source at bearing a 045 mark 030 relative range, highly variable. Another wave tears through Yang Li Wei. Everything in the ship simultaneously compresses and stretches as the gravity wave deforms the space-time metric. Is it the Phantom? Lee demands as her ship thrums subsonically. Is the Phantom ship emitting these waves? I have no idea, Geode says exiliantly. None of this makes any sense at all. Alice Lee has the distinct sense that something ancient and malevolent is operating upon them. A trillion fingered hand reaching in to caress the very atoms of their being, setting protons aspin, strumming nerves like guitar strings. A tongue with ten billion slithering forks tasting the surface of their brains. The sense of imminent doom crescendos. She knows absolutely and utterly that what is about to happen to her and her crew is far worse than any death imaginable. The darkness knows them now. The thing that has come to kill humanity has their taste. Inko! She clings to her restraint harness as the ship growls through another wave. Her bones creak at the stretch. Last report on the Traveler? Any signs of an intervention? It was at Earth, Captain. And there were high-yield weapons discharged all over the signal. Nothing else. Understood. Well, she did not fly this far to look back and beg for salvation from an alien god. Pinned to the center of her sensorium is the blazing ledger of her crew's vote. We go onward. We do not return home. Our fate lies ahead of us, not behind. Launch an antenna, she orders. I want every probe and satellite we've got outside. Captain, Inko protests, the vacuum's not signal permissive. We're still passing signals internally, aren't we? Use hard line. 
run filament between the satellites. I want a transmitter sail out there, and I want to broadcast. Her flight crew stares. Captain, broadcast what? A declaration of neutrality. Alice Lee grits her teeth against another wave, and it rattles her molars in her skull. Whatever's out there, it came for the traveler. We tell it we're not part of this war. We've seceded from humanity's existence under the traveler. We demand to be treated as a separate species, not party to baseline humanity's conflicts. And we pray that there's something out there that cares about the difference. And that's the end of that chapter. Dude, the fucking science officer. (laughs) I fought so hard not to laugh while you were reading that. But the fucking science officer. I love this woman. I have no idea. (laughs) Of course you don't. None of it makes sense. Nobody has any fucking idea. Uh, I I lost it at that. Like everything else, I was like, I was following along. I was like, oh my god, they're you know they're trying to get flight, they're trying to get uh, instrumentation working. All their instruments are shit. They're just spitting out nonsense. And the one person, just as giddy as can be, is the science officer going, oh my god, this is amazing. We're all about to die. Look at these readings. These are awesome. <laughs> what does that mean? I have no idea. I don't know, but it's cool. <laughs> I just the science officer gets me every time I read. Like I'm so into it, and then the science officer is just there, and I'm just like, "All right, you're you're useless." Uh, but yeah, so I mean, gravity waves pulling like time spaces, distorting the ship around them, pulling like separating the the space between atoms is is being increased and decreased and all at the same time and so it's like your fingernails are are on the other side of the room but you're yeah it's it's freaky and then uh she pulls the captain captain alice lee she pulls up the charter and everyone's voted to to press on like we go on we we have succeeded from humanity we demand to be treated as a separate species and she's going to tell this thing that's surrounding them as such like she's just like we demand to, to to be treated separately, and and it, there's an interesting thing that's happened here too. They registered weapons fire. the The last thing they registered from the tra- traveler or from the area of the traveler was high weapons fr- fire, and and that was it. That's going to be an important thing to remember later on. Yeah. So the uh, the other thing that I want to I want to point out here. Um, there are some similarities between what they're experiencing here and what the Glycon experienced with these like thumbing gravitational waves that oh. are uh, kind of pulling and pinching, you know, over and over um, when the Glycon was trying to pass through that event horizon created yeah. in the wake of the planets dis- of Mars specifically disappearing. Um, similarly, I think it's also important to point out that amongst that science officer's kind of, you know, hysterical glee, yeah, yeah, (laughs) uh, they mentioned something that we have probably all heard once or twice in game, um, saying that they are being subjected to sterile neutrinos. And for anyone that has listened when I. 
I think on some of the strikes, now that I think about, I, I always attribute these, these dialogues to Asher Mir, who is unfortunately no longer in the game. Um, so maybe new lights aren't I, aware. I, but they might not be. Sterile neutrinos are associated with the rifts that the high, or excuse me, that the uh, taken teleport out of when, when you come across them. Um, so just further linking that like what they're in the middle of is likely something similar to a giant darkness blight. Yeah. And it, I, I, the, the whole stereo neutrino thing and, and, and the giddy scientist, I mean that <laughs> for those of you that don't know that, that, that's Asher Mears whole demeanor. The whole time you interact with him, oh, yeah. he is just a giddy scientist talking about crazy shit. As much as he's a guardian, he is still—he's <laughs> just fucking crazy, and I love him. Uh, he's, but he is he's a grumpy scientist, but he's very—he is—he yeah. is. Uh, but he is unfortunately no longer in game, and I—I—I I, I, I pray for the day he returns. Yeah, I will—I will never forget um, the line about the pyramid ships coming to to Io, uh, which is where Asher was was stationed, and. Uh, I, the the line of the lore card around it um, says something to the effect of like you know a scientific man although he was the first thing he tried to do was shoot the damn thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. When he tried to shoot the missile at it, see what the hell happened. Yeah. <laughs> he he may be a scientist, but he's a crazy man first. <laughs> and science is always science is always more fun with explosions. <laughs> so. But yeah, so they're they're under attack at this point, uh, under Bombarded. you know an attack that they have no way to to register even, yeah. Other than just this feeling of their atoms not you know being messed with, um, and yeah, the the captain makes a decision like we are going to state our intent as a separate species from the rest of humanity and therefore not part of their war. Yeah. And then, and then and then to hope to hope that it matters. Like to hope that that thing out there that's fucking with their ship is is going to register the difference mm-hmm. between a group of people succeeding that are like, "Hey, we're not part of the traveler. We this whole mission we're on, we were trying to be separate from the traveler anyway. We were trying to start a new life out there on our own. We are like humanity 2.0, whatever, or 3.0, whatever version we're on now." Uh, that stuff at the Traveler, you go, you kill those guys. Don't care anymore. They're there. We're here. We're not part of them. That's, I mean, I'm telling you, man, the ball's on this captain. Yes. Um, but, so, with with these events unfolding, and the, the captain making this last kind of desperate plea, we get to the next chapter, which is chapter 8, Cosmogyre 4. And it goes like this. She remembers everything about the moment she is born. She has gone outside Yang Liwei to die in starlight. She cannot bear to let anyone see her fear or her awe at the scale of destruction or her pity for the billions of souls dying in darkness back around Seoul. She cannot be among the other crew as they cling to each other and whisper reassurances, not even with her mother. She cannot surrender 
her mystery. So she kicks off the hull on fifty kilometers of tether. But there's no starlight to die in, and the darkness is absolute. The gravity waves tug on her line, pulling her back towards Yang and then hurling her away. In time, she feels another vibration on the line. Sister, the tether transmits, I'm coming out to get you. Brother, she thinks, you'll lose yourself trying to follow me. Captain Lee's voice breaks through the static, drawn out to a mumble and then compressed to a shriek. Spikes of hard radiation go through her words like bullets, spattering phenoms into eerie compression artifacts. This is the interstellar vessel Yang Li Wei to the entity interacting with us. We are not involved in your dispute with the powers around this star. We are on a mission to begin a new life elsewhere. Our purpose is the ortho- orthogonal. La la la. Our purpose is orthogonal to yours. We request your indifference. Mara's tether trembles with Alduin's progress. She holds it in one hand and reaches out with the other, gripping the emptiness, feeling how the tide of broken space pull at her fingertips. She senses that the nothingness around her is not indifferent, that it is aware of all purposes, and that its own purpose encompasses them. It is infinitely hostile, because it must be. Then, as if the void around her has just spontaneously big-banged, she sees light. A point of pure white shines in the cosmic distance, not just visible luminance. Her suit decompresses the spectrum. The light in the radio bands, in microwave, keening ultraviolet, a spike of gamma, a total and all-embracing radiation. It sings, it chatters, it speaks in a voice older than the sun's. She feels that she could Fourier the voice for a century and never decompose it into its parts. It is awesome and appalling and piercingly true. Mara understands how those who die in radiation accidents must feel. A single flash of invisible power sears away all possible futures except for one. She feels that her soul itself has been ionized, blasted into a higher energy state. The light pierces the darkness, not like the sunrise, not like a wall or a flood, but a single ray, a finger of radiance that reaches out through the deepest night to touch her. It illuminates Mara and Alduin and Yang Li Wei. But it is not enough. It cannot vanquish the shadow. Thus Mara finds herself drifting on the edge of the light and the darkness, on the dusk and dawn gradient between the two. She feels a contest, a battle fought, an equilibrium reached, not a truce, but an infinite limit, like an equation dividing by zero, a collision of two violent eternities. 
Mara queries Yang Li Wei for telemetry and her sensorium filled with the terrified scream of gravitational instruments. She howls too, a feral sound, ecstatic and lost, a wolf baying at the stars. She knows what's happening. Too much power has gathered here. The universe is appalled by the paradox. Nothing that has glimpsed this collision of infinitudes cannot be allowed to escape. The cosmos must censor its embarrassment. It must sequester the anomaly. The slope of warped space-time around them has become too steep, and now every path outward or forward bends back to the center, where light and dark collide. The definition of future has become synonymous with the definition of inward. That is why it's called an event horizon. For an object within the horizon, the path of all future things that can be done or seen leads inevitably down to the center. All events lead inward. A singularity is forming around her, a black hole created by the concentration of raw energy. Mara! Alduin shouts. Mara, you're too far out! Mara thinks of her mother's face. She hears Osana say, I can't watch over you like a mother would. I have to make my own choices now. She fires the detach command into the tether. Gravity seizes her, and she falls forward in space and time, into the future, into the mystery. Yang Li Wei is behind her. Alduin is behind her. Because she wants to be first. And that's the end of that chapter. This, this is, this, again, all of this, all of these chapters, like, this, there's so much stuff happening here. Like, the scientist in me is like, ah! right? Like, I'm like, I'm like a little science officer, just giddy about everything that's happening here. So the, the she talks about how, like, uh uh this this so that so she's out on the hull she she's like i i i want to feel this like she, she, whatever whatever she's out there for is is her own thing like the the embarrassment of bringing her brother and her and her mother with like the 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 regret of of, of abandoning earth you know all that stuff is happening all at the same like all these emotions are going through mara and then you know at the same time still being bombarded with these gravity waves from this big black nothingness. Like, there's nothing. There's no light. There's no stars. There's no nothing. You know, Alice Lee pops out her 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 message and said, you know, treat us separately. We're, we're on an entity. Please, you know, please give us some sort of thing. And Mara feels it. Mara feels the response from the darkness. And, and... The darkness does make a distinction, but Mara feels that the, the the darkness doesn't give a shit. Like that's cool that you're distinct from yourself. I don't care. You're still going down. And and it she's she's just about to just you know completely accept her fate when this little pinprick of light that when it hits her suit it registers as everything. And I'm going to reference back to our light and dark um, episodes that we did. We talked about the darkness. It, it, 
as from the from the scientific standpoint, it operates at basically the I we we we're, I'm going to call it zero frequency, but but you can't get to zero frequency. You can, but it's 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 it again. The light and darkness stuff is kind of fucky when you try to we, apply science to we it. We used the term anti-resonance. Anti-resonance. That's right. That's right. Um, and the light operates on every frequency at the same time. So when she's feeling all these different frequencies, she's feeling the light. That is the that is the light, the force. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so. And and she talks about how like it's brilliant. It's 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 everything. It's like every emotion that can hit a human body all at once happens. And and she doesn't know what to do with this feeling. But then she talks about how like the the darkness is kind of answering back to it, and it's it's these ancient ancient powers it feels like to her that are just they've been warring forever. But there's there's no it's it's not even like a ceasefire has 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 happened. It's like a, it's like a cancellation. It's like a it's like a a neutral space. It's 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 not even a truce. Just a a, a cancel that cancellation, right? So it's that anti-resonance is interacting with the resonance of the light, causing a zero, a zero point, like dividing, like zero dividing by infinity. And, and the universe, the physical universe of, of around them is appalled by this. Like, this can't happen. And, and that's where, that, but, but these are paracausal abilities, right? Like, or these are paracausal powers. The light and the dark that's happening here. There's, there's nothing natural to this universe about them. They were introduced, and again, I'm gonna, you know, kind of reference back to our light and dark stuff with the, with the winter and the gardener. These forces were introduced into the system by, as paracausal abilities. So the, 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 the universe doesn't understand it. So what the universe does is say, well, I'm just gonna get rid of it. And a black hole starts to form. This the the event horizon. All futures are leading downward, inwards. That's the only way they can go. Nothing escapes a black hole. Like not even light can escape a black hole. Light light is in like the light spectrum, not light is in like capital L, the force. Um so this black hole starts to form. And Oldwin's out there like, what are you doing? And she's she basically starts diving towards it. And and <laughs> this is the moment that I I've always referred to as the boop, you know, like when <laughs> when somebody boops a nose. Mara's going down there to poke the thing and go boop because she wants to be first. And like it's that that whole that that line there, like she's going down there because she wants to be first. But first to what? Like, does she want to be the first to die? Does she want to be the first to experience what a black hole feels like? Is that, like, what is it? The thrill seeker in her? Is it like, th- this well, is crazy? I think, and she she talks about this in in this particular entry. Um, she says that that she can't be amongst the crew who are, you know finding their partners and kind of consoling each other and offering reassurances. And she, she can't do that. She can't even go be with her mother because she can't give up the mystery that she has created around herself. Yeah. Like that she, godhood that she's created that, that cult yeah. of personality. 
she needs to the very end appear to be ununderstandable. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's the same thing that drives her here. Like she wants to be the one that knows more than anybody else. And yeah. so she's trying, she wants to be the first to discover whatever it is that this is leading to. God, that's, that's awesome. But guess what? We're not going to find out where it leads tonight. <laughs> Y'all are going to have to wait till next time. Cause I'm looking at our time markers and we're pushing two hours now. So guess what? This is, I think, a good stopping point. I think you're right. I think this is a little bit of a cliffhanger, but... Uh, it is absolutely you know, a cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep uh, coming back for more. Yeah. Um, gotta drive that content train. Choo-choo! Uh, so, yeah. Well, um, man, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this. Like, I don't know what thank yous to give out. Do I thank Mara? Do I thank Lang- Yang Li Wei? Do I, can I thank a ship? <laughs> I can I can thank a ship. Thank you, yeah, ship, sure. for being a ship and having being armed to the teeth. Um, thanks, Alice Lee, for you know maybe not going full mil- milita- military. No, you know what? The one that gets the most thanks, you already know who it is. Goddamn first officer, science officer. <laughs> I love her. That's it. She, thank you, science officer, for putting science above everything. You're the best. Let's see. What, what was? I think the name was uh, science officer Geode, something like that. Geode. All right, science uh, officer Geode. Thank you for being awesome. Myth. Do we have any 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 cool shoutouts to give? Um, I say no. Uh, no new reviews or anything that I can I can shout out, which yeah is fine. Uh. I'll I'll give a quick thank you to Hootie McBooty for for kind of kind of spearheading this. Yeah, t- like hey, you reference this thing. Where the hell is it? Well, here the hell it is. Yep. Uh, and it it is funny. We had talked about when do we want to reintroduce Mario Senna? What do we want to do it again? Because we did. We really wanted to re- to do it again. Absolutely. And uh, we weren't intending to do it quite this soon. I don't think. But everything just kind of lined up, and then. That comment came through, and we're like, "Well, now we just gotta." So now we gotta. We now we gotta. The people, the people ask, and we respond <laughs> as such. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna obviously next week we're gonna continue uh, Marasena, uh, and I mean we're we're not we haven't even touched the surface of this thing. Like this this is just barely getting into the into the weeds here. Um, and so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do that. Uh, so, so yeah, stay tuned. Yep. Uh, I will just give a very general shout out and thank you to everyone that listens to us and our, our craziness. Um, it has been a wild ride thus far. Uh, we, we just crossed the 20,000, uh, downloads bar last week, which is, I, I can't even put into words how amazing that feels. It literally feels like last week we were at like 10k, and we had to go back and look. It's only been like two months, if that. Yeah. <laughs> Just absolutely incredible, far beyond anything I I could have ever expected. So thank you, everybody that that enjoys what we're doing and and continues to listen. Um, you guys you guys are awesome. Uh, and we're we're gonna keep it going. But uh, but yeah, I I think that's it for me. 
Oh, I sw- one last thing. One last thing for anyone. I'll do our, our episodely plug. Our yeah. weekly plug. Uh, hit, hit that button and bell and like and stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, all, all those things, which really equate to, hey, if, if you want to drop us a line or you've got a, a interesting question or lore fact or, or want to debate some of the finer bits of things we've covered, uh, feel free to do so. You can get in touch with us via uh, our Twitter page, which is just at myths and stories with a z at the beginning of stories instead of an s same as the title of the show um we monitor that uh fairly regularly um and are always open to i'm I'm too nervous to check it (laughs) we're always open to uh you know respectful discussions um and uh you might might hear a shout out of of your comment at some point uh, on a later episode. So, yeah. All righty. Uh, well, from all of us lore nerds to all of you guardians out there, we'll see you next week. <laughs>